We turn together in the sacred scriptures to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The basis of this psalm and the whole word of God, we consider Lord's Day 10 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Beginning with question 27. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, And all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, before we move on from the first article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, The Catechism in Lord's Day 10 would have us consider one more foundational truth that is implied in that first article of the Creed. Lord's Day 9 explained to us the explicit explicit teaching of the first article of the Apostles' Creed going through each of the words, God the Father, there was the main idea of Lord's Day 9, the fatherhood of God, and God our Father is an almighty Father, as well as the maker of heaven and earth. He is the creator, and thus the father of creation. But there is another truth which is confessed in the first article of the Apostolic Creed, which is implied in the doctrine of God's fatherhood, in the reality that he is almighty, and in the truth that he is the creator of heaven and earth. And it's a truth that is far too important to pass over. Indeed, it is one that well deserves its own Lord's Day, and thus we have Lord's Day 10. It's the doctrine of providence. 
which answers the question, after God the Father Almighty made heaven and earth, then what? And the question is, providence. Providence is simply a theological term used by the church to describe the Bible's teaching that after God created all things, he did not forsake the work of his hands or abandon them to chance, but provides for and cares for his creation, indeed upholds and governs all things. As the father of creation, he provides for the work of his hands, and now especially as our father for Jesus' sake, the doctrine of providence means that the almighty creator works all things for our advantage. And that is a truth. The Christian benefits from continually pondering throughout the course of his or her life. Because as Lord's Day 9 pointed out to us, this world is the valley of tears on account of sin, on account of evil, and all of the ravages that sin and evil bring into the lives of God's people. A valley of tears, and our comfort in that valley of tears An important part of that comfort is this truth. God's providence. That his hand is with us in the valley. That the good shepherd is there always leading, protecting, bringing to glory, working all things for the good Of his children and sheep. It's a truth that doesn't take away the tears of the valley. No, indeed, sometimes the providence of God brings tears. But it is something that always lifts the heart. And strengthens us in the soul as we go on in the valley. It is a truth that gives peace and joy even amidst the tears. All things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's the blessed truth of the word of God we consider this morning. Our theme is Father's Hand in the Valley. And we're going to unpack that theme with two points. First, what it is. And then secondly, what advantage it is to us. Father's hand in the valley, what it is, what advantage it is to us. The Bible understanding our earthliness as human beings, that's the way God made us, of the earth earthy. The Bible knows that we learn well from pictures. And so the Bible gives us a picture for this theological concept called providence. And the picture is a hand. God's providence is God's hand. As the catechism says, and when it gives its beautiful definition of providence in answer 27, providence is this, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven earth, and all creatures. Providence is the hand or hands of God which is in and upon and around and underneath and over all of his creation. 
This is a sensible figure for the Bible to use. God's providence is really his power. And your hand is the means God has given you by which you exercise your power or your strength. Your hands are how you do things. Well, God has a hand. No better, he has the hand. Not a hand of flesh and blood, but God's hand refers to the attribute of his divine being, his power, his almighty power, the perfection of his divine being, whereby he accomplishes all that is in harmony with his good will. His hand is his divine power by which he does his will and accomplishes his purposes. God's power is almighty. God's hand is an almighty hand. Children, you understand that you have a certain amount of strength. There are things you can do with your hands. You can lift a certain amount of weight. You can perform certain tasks. But your hands are very limited, are they not? There's only so much you can do with them. There may be things you want to do, but you can't because it is beyond your power. But when the Bible teaches us that God is almighty, it means there is no limit to God's strength. There is nothing God's hands cannot do. There is nothing too heavy for him to lift. There is nothing too hard for him to do. He has all power. And so when God sets his hand to a task, he's able to do it. And nobody can stop him. And there's no lack of strength in him that would keep him from performing it. He is almighty. And thus, anything that is in harmony with his goodwill, he can perform. And understand, that's important. God's almighty power is not in conflict with his holiness. Sometimes atheists will say, well, if your God is almighty, he should be able to do anything. That means he should be able to sin. That means he should be able to destroy himself. If he can do anything, can't he do that? And that's a silly objection. God's almighty power is governed by his holy will. And God does not and cannot do anything that is out of harmony with himself. And that actually demonstrates the almighty power of God. One of the weaknesses of us as sinful creatures is that we lack self-control. We sometimes do things that are against our better judgment. We lack the strength to control our inward passions. The greatest power is self-control. And God has perfect self-control. He never acts contrary to who he is as the Holy One. And so... God's almighty power means his hands are able to accomplish everything that fits with who he is as the good God. Almighty hand, that's God's providence. But also the catechism says, drawing upon scripture, it's God's everywhere present power. We have just two hands. And we're limited there as well. Not only are we limited in our strength, what our hands can accomplish, but with our two hands, which are only in one place at one time with the rest of us, we can only do one or two tasks at a time. We are confined to a certain place, a certain point of space. Not so with God, because God is the infinite one. His being is above and beyond not only time, but also space. And that's a wonder to think about, is it not? God's hand is everywhere at once. His power is everywhere at once. 
There is nothing that is outside his ability to control, to govern, and to move according to his will. His hand is everywhere. Everywhere present. That's the reason why there is stability in creation. Why does the universe continue to exist? Why is there stability? Why do things do what things are supposed to do? The answer is God's everywhere present hands that hold the universe and keep it going. That's God's providence. And so, taking this figure of God's hand, which is almighty and everywhere present, we now, we now turn to what God's hands of providence do. And the Catechism points out to us two important parts of providence. He upholds and governs heaven and earth. That's the continuous, unceasing work of the hands of God. That is what God's hands have done without ceasing since the moment of creation. By the word of his power, God called the creation into being. His handiwork. But after that, he did not forsake his creation. But his hands got to work, so to speak. Doing the work of providence, upholding and governing all things. God upholds the creation. Upholds. Here you can picture someone with great strength holding something up so that it's stable. So that it stays where it's supposed to be. And without those hands beneath it, it would fall to the ground and break apart. That's the idea of the upholding operation of God's providence. By his almighty and everywhere present power, he holds in place all things that he created and keeps them there. To put it another way, he gives existence to his creation and he keeps his creation in existence. creation that he made, he also keeps that creation working the way it's supposed to. Creation isn't like a motor. Think of the mechanic who builds a motor, he puts it into the vehicle, and then he sticks the key into the ignition and turns the motor on, and then the motor runs by itself. That's not the way the creation works. That's not the way the universe works. That's not the way our world works. That's not the way we work. Every creature lives and moves and has its being in the one true and living God. The only reason anything continues to exist is because there is the upholding hand of God that continuously and unceasingly keeps that creature in existence and gives it its being, gives it its life. Very literally, we live out of the hands of God. God sustains, he supports, he preserves, he provides. 
for his creation. Thus we read in Psalm 104 verse 28, Thou openest thine hand, they, that is creatures, are filled with good. So that's the first part of God's providence as the scriptures teach it. It's God's upholding power, his upholding hand. But now, there is also this operation of God's hand, namely his governance of creation. And that simply means that God rules. He is king. He rules over his creation. He has absolute authority over created reality. And the theological term we use for that is his sovereignty. God is sovereign. He reigns. He has authority over the works of his hands such that he is able to do with the works of his hands whatsoever he pleases. And that doesn't mean God is a whimsical tyrant because, remember, God only acts in accordance with his holy being. He has sovereignty. And he also has that almighty power by which he is able to make his rule effective. What this means is that God governs all of created reality. He has complete control over the works of his hands. Creation does his bidding. Every facet of his creation is governed, directed, and guided by his sovereign hand. Thus the catechism puts it so well, summarizing so many verses of scripture this way at the end of question and answer 28. All creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. That is the complete sovereign power and authority and indeed control that God has over all creatures. For moral rational creatures like human beings, like angels, that doesn't mean we're puppets on a string. One of the wonders about the way God created us is that we have a will. We think. We make choices. We do. We're not puppets, and yet that doesn't take away from the fact that even moral, rational creatures, such as human beings, are under the sovereignty of God and are under the governance of God's providence. We cannot so much as move apart from the governing, directing hand of God. And that's simply what it is to be a creature. The only one who is not governed, the only one who is not upheld, the only one who does not receive his being from another is God. God upholds, we are upheld. God governs, we are governed. God gives existence, being, life, we receive. That's what it is to be a creature. And that should point us So how wonderful our God is and how good he is. Because he doesn't need anything outside of himself. He is the I am that I am. The perfectly sufficient one. He didn't have to make anything. And he doesn't have to keep upholding anything that he makes. He has no obligation to the creation outside of himself. And yet out of his goodness to us, his people, he upholds and governs all things. And as we're going to get to later in the sermon, does so with a special care us his people that's providence and so children 
you want to have a picture in your mind to help you understand this big idea of God's providence, simply think of two hands. Two hands. An upholding hand and a governing hand. God holds all of creation, the whole universe, in his hand. And with one hand, he holds it up so that it stays there and continues to exist. And with his other hand, as it were, he governs and guides and controls and directs everything that goes on in his creation. He upholds it so that it stays there and he governs it so that it is directed and goes the way he wants it to go for his glory. And for our good. That's God's providence. Now, the last truth that the catechism would have us bring out to finish off the first point, what this providence is. The catechism would have us focus our attention for a moment on the scope of God's providence. We've already alluded to this, but let's look at it a little more closely. The fact that God's hand, his almighty everywhere present power, is universal. There is nothing that is outside God's providence. There is nothing that exists of itself. There is nothing that is outside of or beyond the reach of God's government, of his control, of his rule. But God's providence is all-inclusive. It's universal. The second half of question and answer 27 drives that home in the list of things that it gives, explaining that each and every one of these things that we experience in our lives comes to us directly from the hand of God. And the second half of question and answer 27 is by no means an exhaustive list. It simply highlights some of the main and most pertinent things of human experience. When it speaks about herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And so everything in the world... Everything in the natural world, what we call nature, everything in the human world, the nations of the world, society, all of the rest, everything that happens, happens according to the sovereign direction of God. It comes from his hand. Things big and small. Nothing's too small. For God's providence. And nothing's too big for it. Herbs and grass. In the springtime. When the leaves begin sprouting on the trees. What's happening there? God's fingers are pulling each and every leaf. Out of the branch. That's God's providence. At work. God's providence. His government extends to even the most insignificant things. So that perhaps if this morning you were sitting with your coffee, watching the sun rise, and the rays of the sun came into your house, and caught the light caught on the little particles of dust floating in the air, God's hand is moving that creature too. 
Not only the small things, but that ray of light that came from the sun. And the rays of light that came from stars, light years away. The hand of God pulled every single one of those rays of light out of the star, out of the sun, and dragged them across the expanse of space and brought it right to your eye. That's God's providence at work. Big things, small things. The piece of dust floating in the air in your house to the planets orbiting the sun. God's governing hand is guiding them. God's upholding hand is keeping them where they're supposed to be. Every creature cannot so much as move without the will of God and his hand of providence that makes them move. The things that touch our lives In very real ways, the seasons and their produce, the rainfall. It's God's providence that brings it to us. From the beginning of creation, when God caused a mist to rise from the ground to water the earth, that was God, by His hand, bringing forth that mist. In the days of Noah, when God caused rain to fall from the skies in such a deluge that the whole world was covered with water, that was God's hand casting every raindrop. In the days of Elijah, when God caused the rain not to fall from the clouds, that was God's hand. Whether drought or deluge, it all comes from God. He makes the crops to grow. He provides our meat and drink in abundance or in scarcity according to his will. When the stock market goes up or the stock market goes down, it is the invisible fingers of God that is moving that line on the graph. That's God's providence. When we're rich, when we're poor, the Lord is the maker of them all. Health or sickness, both come from the hand of God, the one who fashioned our bodies, the one whose hands in every single one of the cells making up our body, the one whose hand controls bacteria and viruses, whose providence controls the common cold just as much as it controlled the ten plagues that were sent on Egypt. God's providence. And even, even sin and evil are not outside the government of God's providence. Satan the first evildoer, and his minions, the demons. They are not little gods who exist of their own strength. They're in the hand of God. All creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Satan and his minions are creatures. If God were to withdraw the hand of his providence for a moment, Satan and his minions would cease to exist. They have no power independent of God. Does not the book of Job emphasize that to us? That Satan could do nothing to Job unless God sovereignly gave him the power to do so? It should comfort us. Our greatest adversary is not a little God who can take our God to task and mount a real and difficult to thwart opposition. No, Satan 
is in God's hand. And the only reason Satan continues to exist is because God sovereignly, wisely, in ways that exceed our ability to understand, is using Satan even for his own good purposes. Even evil is governed by the providence of God. Here we come back to that very important point made earlier. God's hands only work in harmony with his will and his holy being. And that applies here too. God, as he providentially controls evil and human sin... He hates that sin with a holy hatred, with the fullness of his holy being. Those sinful deeds, those evil things that happen, they don't happen in spite of God's best efforts. But they happen under God's sovereign direction for his good purposes. And God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we think. And that means he is able to govern sin in such a way that it serves his purpose. And as God does this, none of the guilt splashes back on him or stains his most excellent name. The responsibility, the guilt for sin remains exclusively with the moral, rational creature who willingly and willfully committed that sin. God is not the author of sin. Job 34 verse 10 speaks that truth so very powerfully where we read, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding... This is wisdom. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Even as God providentially, even as God providentially governs and controls all that goes on in this world, even human sin, he does no wickedness. He does no iniquity. Hard to understand, isn't it? Here again, like with the Trinity, we run into the wall of incomprehensibility. Our God is an incomprehensible God. And when we, when we run into that wall of incomprehensibility, the proper reaction is not to go up against that wall and start hammering on it, trying to break it down trying to break it down with the fist or the hammer of our own human reasoning, because all we're going to do is hurt ourselves. Trying to break through the wall of God's incomprehensibility so that you can fully grasp every aspect of the will and being of God. Trying to break through that wall is like trying to attack the brick wall of this church with a plastic fork. You're not going to get anywhere. Rather... When we run into this wall of God's incomprehensibility and we reach the limits of our human understanding, how is God able to govern sin and yet remain completely guiltless and holy? Instead of trying to bust through that wall, lean up against it. Lean up against the rock 
That is the incomprehensible God who is so much greater than we are that we cannot fathom the depths of his being, of his will, of his power, of his manner of operation. We need that rock. A being that we can fully wrap our human minds around is no longer a God. But he's one of us. Lean up against that hard wall of God's incomprehensibility and You'll find comfort. I don't need all the whys and the hows to be answered. God doesn't answer every question why or every question how. But let us be satisfied with the what. The what. And the what is this. God, my heavenly Father, gives all things to me from his fatherly hand. And his hand governs and controls everything that goes on in this world, including evil, including sin. And I'm satisfied with that what. All I need to know is that the hand that governs all things is my Father's hand. His character is proven. His faithfulness is unquestionable. I don't need to know how he does it. I rest satisfied in knowing that he does do it. He governs all things in a most just and excellent manner. For my good. And for the good of his people. He's all good. He's all wise. When doubts ever creep into my mind, the gospel directs me to look at Jesus Christ. There I was shown, there I was shown how he's able to use even the greatest evil for my greatest good. Because the greatest sin ever perpetrated by humankind was sovereignly used by God to bring out and bring about the greatest good ever wrought by God for any member of humankind. For us, his elect people, salvation from sin and death and evil through Jesus Christ and his cross. And so I'm content. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know how. The what is enough for me. And now I will rest Upon the rock of the awesome majesty and mystery of my God. Who is good in all his ways and works. Who righteously governs and uses sin and evil for his good purpose. So that it is compelled to be subservient to my salvation. Would you want it any other way? That's what it is, this truth of God's providence. But the Catechism is not a dogmatics book. It's personal, it's warm, it's our book of comfort. And so the lesson that the Catechism is giving us now in the providence of God is not intended merely to furnish our minds with a fuller understanding of this truth, though that is important. And that is what the catechism does. But the catechism furnishes us with this knowledge in order that this knowledge may transform how we think and how we live. What advantage is it to me? That's what question and answer 28 focuses on. The advantage of knowing 
Knowing with the head and knowing with the heart, that special kind of knowing which the Bible calls faith. What advantage is it to us to know, that is believe, trust, that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things. The advantage to you and me is this. Not only do I know and live in light of the fact that God's hand is in everything. But that the hand that is in everything is my Father's hand. And that fatherly love that we looked at in Lord's Day 9, that fatherly love, that saving love, that powerful love, stands behind every operation of the hand of God in my life. Why does God do the things he does to me? Why does God do the things he does in my life, in my experience? Fatherly love. That, in sum, is the advantage of knowing God's providence. That is a worldview transforming truth. Meaning, that's something that revolutionizes the way I look at everything. As a fatherly gift from God. That everything comes to me not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And now the catechism brings that truth and fixes it in our mind. But from the mind, the catechism wants to make that truth like a seed sink down into the soil of our heart. So that planted there in the soil of our heart, it grows and bears all manner of fruit. Peace, joy, comfort, freedom from fear, confidence, and many more. That's the import. That's the advantage. God's providence. It changes the way we look at the world. It shapes the way we interpret our experiences. It upholds us in the most difficult parts of the valley of tears. It is a knowledge that is fruitful, beneficial, and a continual source of blessing and strength. I'm not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, whom God the Father sent into the world to redeem me from my sins, to redeem me from the darkness, to redeem me from all of the evil, who with his precious blood has redeemed me and made me a son, a daughter of the one true and living God. And that redemptive work of Christ has made these hands that uphold and govern all things hands of mercy and grace to me. And and isn't that one of the truths, one of the many truths that is woven all throughout Psalm 23? Our life now 
is the life of a sheep that belongs to the good shepherd. The good shepherd who cares, who leads that sheep through green pastures, beside the still waters, through the valley of the shadow of death, comforts that sheep so that that sheep need not fear any evil. His rod and staff is there to comfort and instruct and help and protect and preserve. And those hands of God ensure that goodness and mercy follow me. Pursue me all the days of my life. That's that's a, a biblical way of saying what the catechism does. That nothing can separate me from God's love. And that all creatures are so in God's hand that they must serve my eternal good. The hands of the almighty God my father. Ensure that goodness and mercy pursue me all the days of my life. Until at last I am received into and dwell forevermore in the house of the Lord. That's the Christian life. That's a truth that doesn't change. No matter how much your life changes. No matter how many difficulties you face in your life. Your life is never the subject is never subject to chance. You are never the victim of ill fate. You are never the plaything of some whimsical tyrant or cosmic power that has no care for you. You are the child of God through Jesus Christ. And the hands that uphold the universe and govern all things are your Father's hands. Those are the hands that knit you together in your mother's womb. Those are the hands that knit your life together So that the whole course of your life is as much a wonder work of divine artistry as the whole creation is. Just as the Belgic Confession says of the natural world. That every creature is a character that reveals something about God. And points to the wonder of God's power. Most especially God's people. You and me are particularly profound and beautiful characters in God's book. Which reveal... His power, His grace, His mercy. Our lives have been put together by our Father. Planned for us. Guided by Him. Every part of it for His glory and for our ultimate and eternal good in His house. Nothing comes by chance. Nothing comes by ill fate. No evil ever Truly triumphs at any given moment in your life. Because you're in his hands. And his hands have designed your life. His hands have designed you. His hands are bringing you to the glory prepared for you. And thus those things that we call good. As well as those things that we call bad. We freely and say and readily say by faith, God did it. God gave it to me. And it's for my profit. Even though many times the answer to the question, why? Can't find the answer. Or the answer to the question, how is this for my profit? We can't find the answer. But we let our hearts rest on the what. My faithful God and Father is working 
good. He promised and his character is proven. His faithfulness is without question. And I rest in that. He makes no mistakes. And even when this world, even when my life seems to be a tornado of chaos, spinning out of control, it's in his hands. It's in his hands. And nothing that is in his hand is ever out of control. It's going somewhere. It's going God's way. Thus truly, nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing that hurts me can so much as move apart from my heavenly Father. And even when those things, those creatures, those adversities, those evils do land a blow, and it hurts, and it draws tears from my eyes, Father's hand keeps those blows from ever destroying me. And Father's hand is there to wipe the tears away. Father's hand is there to lift the heart. Father's hand is there to give that peace that passeth all understanding. Father's hand is there to direct our eyes by faith to Him and to His faithful promises and to the reality that all of our heaviest afflictions are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory in Father's house and His goodness and mercy is bringing us there. Say with the psalmist, Psalm 139, verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Well, the last thing that remains for us to consider for a few moments are some particular, specific advantages that this Lord's Day highlights. This first part of the second point we've looked at The advantage as a whole. What advantage is it to know the providence of God? The advantage is I know that the hand that is in all things is my Father's hand. And therefore, what drives His hand in all of its operations in my life is His fatherly love. That's the truth as a whole. But the Catechism would highlight a few facets of this beautiful diamond for us. And there's three things I want to conclude with. When we know the providence of God, we have this advantage. First, we're patient and peaceful in adversity. Second, we're thankful in prosperity. Third, we're confident now and forever. Patient in adversity, that's the first thing answer 28 brings out. Adversity is everything that doesn't go your way. Adversity is everything that is from your and my perspective bad, turned against me, hurtful, unpleasant, evil. Adversities, troubles, trials, sufferings, sorrows, losses, pains, all of those evils that we meet with and go through in the valley of tears. There are big ones. There are smaller ones. There are nagging ones, there are long-lasting ones, there are short-lived ones, there are ones we have to deal with every day, there are adversities that happen over and over, all of these. How do we deal with them? When we know and apprehend by faith the providence of God, so that 
Our world and life view is controlled by this truth that all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. The fruit of that in our hearts and lives is patience and peace. Patience. The patience here is not a passive resignation to my ill fate. The patience being talked about here is not a hopeless indifference. There's nothing I can do about this, so I'll resign myself to the miserable lot I have in life right now. But the patience that is being referred to here is the fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit that is a willing placing of myself under God's hand so that I submit to the burden that He places upon me and drawing my strength from His Spirit, I bear up under it, waiting on Him to perform the good work through the adversity that He sends me. That adversity may draw tears from my eyes. It may draw prayers from my heart. Father, take this from me. But even in those tears and amidst those prayers, there is this conquering endurance by the strength of the Spirit, bearing that affliction, knowing it will not destroy me. It cannot destroy me. It cannot do anything Except that which my Father gives it power to do. It cannot separate me from His love. In fact, it is sent to me in love. And here I don't understand the why. I don't understand the how. But I know the what. That Father sanctifying me, refining me, drawing me closer to Him. Performing His good work in me. And that this in some way is subservient to my salvation. And one day in Father's house. I may very well understand the why. And so, instead of murmuring, I submit humbly. I bear up underneath this hand of God laid upon me. I remember that he is good and always good. I thank him for the increasing mortification and subduing of my sinful flesh by means of this adversity. My affections are quickened to be set upon things above and not things below. My hope for heaven is strengthened. And I endure patiently, not of my own strength, but of the strength of my Father. Because whenever Father of His hand gives adversity, by the same hand He also gives the strength to bear it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Patience in adversity. Thankful in prosperity. When we understand this truth, God's providence, then we readily acknowledge and ought to acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from God, that everything we have comes from Him, and that when we have abundance, when we're doing well, when life is going our way, when our earthly way is straight, when our lives are comfortable, when life turns out to be what we want it to be, when we have many good things to enjoy, 
That's from God. That's from our Father, who is generous and who is kind. And thus, when we have prosperity, we must not grow sleepy. We must not take these things for granted, but with hearts that are full of thankfulness. Express that thankfulness in prayer and praise, in worship, in the utilizing of all of those things God has given us for His glory. Thankful in prosperity. Finally, confident now and forever. In the middle of answer 28, catechism emphasizes that this is an advantage. Knowing God's fatherly hand in the valley. That in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father. God has it under control. My present, my future, is in His hands. There's no better hands for it to be in, for me to be in. And because I am in His hands and my life is in His hands, absolutely nothing can separate me from His love. And that love of God is not just a divine feeling. That love of God is a divine saving power. Nothing can separate me from that love. That means nothing can tear me away from God. Or tear me away from His blessings. Or tear me away from the salvation He has accomplished for me in Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether my life is going smoothly. Or whether I'm living in the middle of a hurricane. Nothing can separate me from my Father. He upholds me. He governs me. He keeps me. He works all of those things for my good. I'm safe. I'm secure. I find that inner peace and that inner joy In the valley of tears. Let's apply that truth personally this morning. Has God touched your life? Has he laid his hand upon you? Are you going through a time of grief? A time of heavy affliction? A time of fear? Is your life... Seemingly in chaos. View all those things. In light. Of this truth. All things come. Not by chance. But by his fatherly hand. Nothing shall separate me from his love. Since all these things are so in his hand. That without his will. They cannot so much as move. Surely, even now, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our faithful God and our heavenly Father, 
We thank thee for the comforting word of the scriptures as summarized in Lord's Day 10. Take that word from our minds, plant it as a seed in our hearts, cause it to bear fruit in our lives, so that its rich advantage may be felt, may be experienced powerfully this morning and in the days ahead. That whether in adversity or prosperity, we may go forward with that peace and joy and firm hope. Everything is in thy hands. Amen.